Hey there, and welcome back to Take One, the podcast that brings you just one familiar, maybe should I say familial, page of Talmud every day, because in today's pages, Nadarim 80 and 81, we meet, well, maybe the original Nepo babies? Have a listen. With regard to a similar matter, the Gemara inquires, and for what reason is it not common for Torah scholars to give rise to Torah scholars from among their sons? Why are Torah scholars generally born to paupers who are not Torah scholars themselves? Rav Yosef said, this is so that they should not say that Torah is their inheritance. Therefore, it is unusual to find that all the sons of a Torah scholar are also Torah scholars. Rav Sheshet, son of Rav Idi, said, This is so that they should not be presumptuous toward the community, with the knowledge that they will be Torah scholars like their fathers. Malzutra said, Because they take advantage of their father's standing to lord over the community and are punished for their conduct. Rav Ashi said, Because they call ordinary people donkeys. What a mouthful this is. What an amazing discussion of why Torah scholars aren't usually the sons of Torah scholars, even though you may think that makes perfect sense. So here today to help us untangle this is someone who I believe is the son of a great physician, a great famous righteous doctor, but who ended up himself a great Torah scholar, a great teacher, and a great friend. Rabbi David Beshevkin, how are you, my friend? Liel, what an absolute joy. And like, I am especially excited to speak about this particular passage of Talmud. I need to correct. I promise I never call you a donkey behind your back. I just want (laughs) you to know that. It's never happened and never will happen. Plenty of other people do. But now, is was I right? Is your father indeed a celebrated physician? You know, it's so interesting, and I wasn't even thinking about this lens, but it's so true. My father is a, he's a, a really renowned oncologist. He recently retired. He came from a community that had a very poor Jewish education. He was not especially well-educated as a kid. And it's so interesting. Every single one of his children is in education. Every single one. And I look at my own family and I wonder, you know, so many people I'm sure envy the family that my father has rightfully built. Like, I envy. I'm like, Dad, how did you do this? Like, he wasn't a rabbi. He wasn't an educator. He wasn't involved in Torah scholarship. And he raised this family of incredibly engaged Jews, my sisters, my brothers. Each of us are in education, each in our own way. And you look sometimes at rabbinic families. I knew this growing up. Like, it was always like the wildest kid. He was like, they were like pirates swashbuckling in the main sanctuary. The children of rabbis very often struggle. They very often don't necessarily go in the direction of their parents. And I think there are really two phenomena at play here. There is one phenomena where it is the phenomenon of growing up as the child of clergy. Uh, This is something that exists both in the Jewish and non-Jewish world and can be an incredibly painful experience where people begin to identify you through the lens of your parent. There was a fantastic documentary that came out in Israel by the daughters of renowned religious Zionist rabbis. 
And it was a documentary that spoke about the experience of these women and how painful it was. And there's one scene in the documentary that always stuck with me where one of the women whose father is like a world-renowned rabbi drew this animation of walking next to her father and her father like casts a shadow over her. And she's looking and speaking with her father and she says, you know, this was my experience growing up, feeling like I was always subsumed within your identity, always underneath your expectations. And her father so sweetly and so painfully says, like, for me, I wanted that shadow to protect, not to overwhelm, not to overshadow, not to obscure your own accomplishments and your own identity. And I think a lot of people grow up in those kind of families where you feel obscured by the role, by the accomplishments of parents, of your last name. You know, I, I have students where you can hear them swallowing up their last name because for them, like, I want to have an identity on my own two feet. But there's another phenomenon that I believe this passage of Talmud is surfacing that I think may be even more important and more central to our relationship with Torah itself. And that is, what is the very goal of Torah? What is studying Torah? What is the immersion in Torah meant to accomplish? And I believe this passage of Talmud is giving us a very important warning and a very important signpost of what we should be involved in. Anytime you step into the world of Torah, you're introduced to almost this like idealistic world of how we should be acting, how we should be behaving, how we should be celebrating our Jewish identity involved in Shabbos, involved in prayer, involved in commandedness. And we're kind of immersed in this world and very very often when you immerse yourself in this world, you can sometimes step into it. And when you step out and you go back and you look at your colleagues and you look at your family, you look at your own friends, you look at your own community, you can begin to look down at them. You could, be, you could begin to almost feel that call of enchantment of idealism of Torah. And when you step out of it, you look at everybody else with a certain cynicism and negativity because they very rarely align our ordinary pedestrian world that we live in very rarely aligns with the ideals that we grapple with within the world of Torah. And I believe that this passage that we just read is the warning sign not to do this. It reminds me of people who sunk into depression after watching the movie Avatar, which I know its sequel is out now. Like, they watched Avatar, they saw this amazing immersive world, and then when they stepped out of the movie theater, they were, like, depressed. They were grappling with mental health issues because, like, this is not the world that I live in. This right. is not the world that I inhabit. And that can happen with Torah. And I think what we're seeing here is why do we make sure that Torah does not become the Nepo babies, this nepotistic passing on from world to world? Because if Torah becomes an, a sign of entitlement, if Torah becomes a almost like a class, a sociological class, then you're going to step out and you're going to look at everybody else with this negativity. You're going to actually start looking at people like they're donkeys, like they're ignoramuses, like with your own Torah is going to become a sense of 
entitlement and everyone else's lack of Torah is going to be a mark of deficiency. You're going to look at them with cynicism. And this, I believe, is the last answer that you did not read is the most important answer. Ravina says the reason why children of Torah scholars do not become Torah scholars themselves is because they do not make the blessing over the Torah first. And, like, it's the strangest thing in the world. I don't know one Torah scholar who does not make this blessing in the whole world. They all make this blessing. What is he saying that they don't make the blessing on the Torah first? That's why they don't have children who are scholars. But the answer is exactly like everything we've said. Take a moment. Open up a sitter. Do yourself a favor. Read this blessing. Read the translation. Do you know what this blessing is all about? The language of the blessing, it begins in Hebrew, veharevna, it should be sweet. The experience of Torah should build a positivity of sweetness, not just for the Torah and not just for yourself, but it should sweeten and elevate all the people that you interact with. Vitzetzoi amcha v'chal beis Yisroel is the Hebrew language of the blessing. All of your descendants and the entire house of Israel should be uplifted through your Torah. If you are learning Torah and looking out at the world and stepping out from that Avatar movie theater and looking at the rest of the world with dark eyes, with negative eyes, with cynical eyes, that's not the kind of Torah that's going to produce another generation of Torah scholars. The only way to produce another generation, to perpetuate Torah, is when you step out of the world of ideals, you use that positivity, you use that energy, you use that aspirational lens to lift up you, the next generation, and all those around you, the Harevna, to make you and all those around you even sweeter. Rabbi Beshevkin, as always, you have made the Talmud sweeter to us. Thank you so much for being our guest. My absolute pleasure. This has been Take One. If you enjoy the show, and I hope that you do, please go rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. And get your Take One merch, t-shirts, mugs, and other great stuff at tabletstudios.com. Each week, we will be releasing new episodes Monday through Friday, covering the entire weekly portion of Daf Yomi. Take One is a Tablet Studios production. The show is hosted by me, Leah Leibowitz, and is produced and edited by Daron Ruskay, Quinn Waller, and Ellie Blyer. Our team also includes Stephanie Butnick, Josh Cross, Tanya Singer, Courtney Hazlett, Robert Scarmucha, and Mark Oppenheimer. For more information, go to tabletmag.com slash takeone or email us at takeone at tabletmag.com. You could find us on Twitter at takeone.fiomi or join our Facebook group by searching for Take One Podcast. I hope we have made your day a little more Talmudic.